Numbers chapter 11 today, and uh, the title of this message is a question, is the, the Lord's arm too short? Is the Lord's arm too short? And you say, the title even sounds blasphemous to us, but yet it's a question that God asks of Moses. And this message is uh, something that came to me a long time ago um, based on Something that happened in the back seat of uh, my vehicle as I was driving, and my kids were um, back there. Uh, we we're just getting ready to take off, actually. And, and Kaylee was five years old, and she couldn't get her seatbelt on. She's struggling with it. And uh, you know how it is when you're a little kid, and your arms are too short, and it's just hard to like reach things and buckle that buckle in. And she's frustrated, so she says to her older sister, she says, can you put my seatbelt on? She says, I can't do it. And, uh, and her sister says, do it yourself. You know, do your own seatbelt. And she says, I can't. My arms are too short. You're the one with the sloth arms. <laughs> and uh, so ever since then, Kaylee, I always call her T-Rex. You know, she's the little arms. And then Cassidy, I call her old sloth arms. You know, the big, slothy, uh, long arms. And uh, the, the illustration is only carried in so far as, you know, not saying that God is slow like a sloth, but as long, you know, in the sense that God has a long arm, we, that's something that we need to understand, that God is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. And do you really believe that? Because if we really believed that, I believe that it would change our lives so dramatically and that we would be walking in such a way that uh, God would be able to show himself and his power uh, on a daily basis, that we would never go through a day without saying, God, you, wow, you amazed me by the way that you acted in that situation, by the way you showed yourself once again. But here um, in this particular scripture, we have Israel who's been two years, two years in the wilderness, and they've gone through a lot. And in the process of being taken from slavery and bondage, and uh, the highlight of their week was that they got to add a few onions to their meal to spice it up. And if your, your highlight of your week is onions, then you need to get a life. So they needed a life, and God says, I'm giving you a new life. I'm giving you a promised land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. I'm giving you good stuff. This is my promise. But on the road there, it was tough. It was difficult, and they're facing things that uh, were challenging to them. They're uncomfortable, and so they begin to complain. They complained about everything, everything imaginable. Um, they complained about, you know, Pharaoh's going to kill us. And they're like, was there not enough cemeteries in Egypt? Did you have to bring us out in the desert to die? And they're complaining about all the different trials and difficulties. One thing they complained about was the lack of water. You know, and how many of you are, are cistern people? Anybody run on a cistern? And when you have a lack of water, how, how many of you realize that that is something that could ruin your marriage? <laughs> when you run out of water, you know, the wife does not understand that. You know, that is not acceptable. That is not good. So, you know, my neighbor, he's our, he's our water man. And when he hears that fear in my voice, you know, he is over in a minute. You know, he knows when it's an emergency. He knows when I am going to die. And so he hears that. And, uh, you know, not only is my, he my water man, but he's my, he's my dog's best friend. You know, you see my dog. Um, do we have a picture of Colby on there? Yeah. This is, this is, this is Colby, and, and he doesn't have many friends. 
And when Tom comes, he's so excited. He sits there and he gets up on the window and he starts barking and running around the house because he's got this severe problem with his face. And nobody wants to be his friend, but Tom loves him no matter what. Tom shares his lunch with my dog. If he doesn't have a treat, he gives him a little bit of the meat off his sandwich. But Tom comes and he saves the day. But I can just imagine how Moses fell in the desert. Not only was there one wife without water, there was 500 thousand women without water. Just picture that with me for a moment. You know, the fear, the fear in so many men and and the crying out. And so there's 500,000 women who are angry with their husbands. But now, you know, they got over that thing. God provided. But now we get to the place where the men are starting to get upset. There's no meat. There's no meat. Now, we, we once at youth group, we had uh, pizza. The, we have amazing volunteers, but some, some things they don't get. Um, we have a lady who does snacks for us, and she's a vegetarian. Um, and so she says to me, she goes, uh, I made pizza, p- little mini pizzas tonight. And she says, I hope it's okay, but I didn't, I didn't put pepperoni on it. There's no meat. And I was like, in what universe is that Okay. <laughs> Like, that's bread and cheese and, like, what is that? Like, you can't even call it anything. It's just wrong. And so I can imagine the Israelites and, and manna every, every day. And it's like, yes, God, it's good. It comes from heaven. It's everything I need. But every day, you know, we need meat. We need the beef. We need a little bit of meat in our meal, something in there. We need that, you know, protein. It's just, you know, something that a a guy really wants to have in the meal. And so the people, they're getting really frustrated and they're getting upset because, you know, they aren't getting the things that they feel like they deserve or the things that they want. It says in uh, chapter 11, verse 10, that Moses, he heard the people of every family wailing, at the entrance of their tents. The guys are in on this. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. And he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put this burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Moses says, did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant? Do, or to the land that you promised uh, on oath to their ancestors. Where can I get meat for all of these people? Now, at least Moses brought his complaint to God. That's one thing he had going on for him. He brought his complaint to God. But this is the problem, that oftentimes we lose our focus. And this is what happened in this situation. Moses, he brought his complaint to God, but he was still focused on what he needed to do, on what he could do. We see this clearly. It tells us in verse 14, he says, or 13, where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, just kill me. He's desperate, and we've all hit these places in life where we just feel so desperate and fed up that we're just like, you know, God, just take me out already. I am so finished. I am so done. I can't keep doing this anymore. I am at the end of my rope, and we've all hit these places at one time or another in our lives. 
Moses is at the end of his rope. I remember once driving to church with the kids, and they're all young, and the little one's trying to get out of her seatbelt, screaming at the top of her lungs, and the other ones are fighting. And I remember 15 minutes in, my, I was getting faster and faster and faster because I just wanted to get to my destination. We're on our way to church, right? And so suddenly I, I look, and out of the corner of my eye, I see we pass a cop car. He was waiting. And I, I turned and I looked at Angie and I said, if he pulls me over, I am going to ask him to arrest me and just throw me in jail. <laughs> I was just out of there. I was going to just, you know, pull over, get out of the car and just say, take me away. Just take me away. You know, you can have the car and the kids and you can have it all. Just get me out of here. I was just so fed up. And I can just imagine Moses, he's so fed up, and the problem is that he's focusing on himself. He was focusing on what he could do to make things better or solve this problem. And he wasn't, he wasn't focusing on the one who could bring him through or get him past this. You see, what happens is when you start to think that you have to do it out of your strength, out of your own ideas, out of your, uh, your ability and you think that you have to come up with all the answers and the solutions and you have to fix it all, and, and you think of all the things that you can do, and then you ask God to help you do all the things you think you can do and kind of like, you know, guide you a little bit, but you aren't focusing on his ability, his long arm, his ability to do. What happens is you just end up spinning your tires and you burn through tires that way. You end up burning through um, your, your energy and you burn through your finances. You burn through your relationships. And nothing good comes of this. Now, the problem comes with the, in this regard is that what happens is that really God has set up, set up a stage. When there's trouble, God has set up a stage for him to show off his glory. And that's how we need to see it. You know, in this, if Moses could just see it, I mean, it's, it's been shown over and over and over in the past. The, the Israelites were, were trapped in slavery. And God said, you know what? Let me flex my arm here. And he brought the plagues and he released them in such a way that it was amazing. He brought them to the edge of the Red Sea. And they're like, oh, we are trapped. We are dead. Pharaoh's mad. He's coming. He's going to kill us all. And sure enough, his army's coming. And all God was doing, the people are all freaking out, but they didn't realize God's setting up a big stage. There's a concert about to happen. God is going to just rock this show, right? This is going to be amazing. And once again, God's like, hey, guys, I am going to show you how mighty I am to save. And then he blows open the sea and says, walk through on dry ground. And then he tops it all off by dropping that thing on the army. And I'm looking at this thinking, you know, this is my God. This is what my God can do. And so sometimes what we end up doing is we allow situations to become about us. We have pity parties and God, just kill me already. <laughs> I can't do this. I'm not able. And God says, I know. I know you can't. I'm setting a stage here. I want to show that I can do something in this situation. I want you to learn how to trust in me. And that's what Moses, he wasn't setting a very good example to the people when he got all worked up because he was just bringing himself, himself down to that level of you know, what everybody else thought, you know, that they had to try to make it a go on their own. And God wanted Moses to set a higher standard. And that, that's what he's calling us to. We have been given new life in Christ. 
You know, God, you are not God's improvement project, okay? He's not just fixing you, uh, fixing you up. God has made you a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. Everything has become new. You are to live and to walk in such a way that you are showing off the glory of God and his ability to work in impossible situations. And we've seen it over and over again. It says uh, in uh, verse 18, God gives his response. This is what he tells them. He says to Moses, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. And now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not only eat it for one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it. Why? Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, and I love this because Moses still doesn't get it. And it just shows me myself sometimes. A lot of times. But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. God, you're promising this to all these people. I'm going to give them meat to eat for the whole month. Would they have even enough if even they slaughtered all the flocks and herds? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. And we got to ask ourselves that question over and over again because we forget. We're forgetful people. We forget that God wants to show himself powerful. That God, he, he is all about showing his glory. You know, we oftentimes want to steal God's glory. You know, how do you know if you're stealing something? Like, um, a lot of people say, well, if it's, if it's things like, you know, if it's free, it comes in the air, you know, I can, I can take it, you know, they take satellite or whatever, right? Things like that. It's just free. It comes in the air, you know, but when you got to, but when you got to phone your neighbor and ask them to reposition their router because you're not getting a good signal, <laughs> you know, you're stealing it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you know what? You know, you're stealing God's glory when you make it all about you, when you take things and you make it all about, you know, God, woe is me, I'm, I can't do this. And God's like, you know what? Chill out. I want to do this. I have a stage set. Give me opportunity. Trust me in this, and I will show myself faithful. He asked that rhetorical question, you know, is the Lord's arm too short? Is his arm too short? And we can answer that question and say, no, our God, his arm is mighty to save. His arm is mighty to bring us from any trouble or difficulty. A while back, I had um, pr- problems with my Civic. I, was, I burned through some tires pretty quick, and, and I went, and I thought, you know what? I need better tires. So I went, and I got uh, new tires on my Civic, and I, I paid good money for them. I bought tires that would make Ronnie Fast proud. And, and so he would, you know, because Ronnie, when he comes up to a car, most people don't look at your tires, right? It's like, whatever, you know, you're weird if you look at your tires. Ronnie comes up and he's like, whoa, 
those are good tires. You know, I always know I did a good job with my tires when Ronnie compliments me. So I pay like $1,000, but really good tires, these Toyos top end for my Civic. And, uh, and sure enough, Ronnie's like, wow, those are great tires. 20,000 kilometers later, my car's like doing this thump, 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 thump. And I'm like, what is going on? So I brought it back to the place where I bought the tires. And I said, my tires are, are messed up. And they did the whole test thing with their hand. They're like, your tires are chopped. These are garbage. They're junk. I'm like, well, you sold them to me. I said, these are top-end tires. They said, no, I mean, we're not saying they're good, not good quality. We're saying they're done. You can't drive on these tires. They're finished. They're totally chopped. And I was like, well, you know, it's, you said they're rated for more than 20,000 kilometers. I mean, that means I have to buy new tires every twice a year if I keep this up. And, uh, and then they said to me, you know what? You don't have a tire problem. You have an alignment problem. We're going to send it away. I'm like, well, why didn't you do that the first time? Thank you very much. But uh, they sent it away, and they put new tires on it. And guess what? I've been driving forever on my new tires. Why? Because I'm not burning through tires anymore. I'm aligned. Many of you are in a place today where, you know, you, you think you've got a tire problem. You think, you know, oh, if only I could find that right relationship. If only I could find that right person for my life. Or if only I could find a good friend. My friend, you know, friends just, I go through friends all the time and, and it just seems like my friendship's always sour and it always ends badly. And if I only could find a true friend, the type of friend, you know, or, you know, if only I could make more money and you're burning through finances and you're burning through relationships, you're burning through friendships, you're burning through all of these things and you think you have a tire problem, but you have an alignment problem. You need to align yourself back into that position of looking to God and saying, God, I trust in you. God, I need you. I can't make this work. And every time I try in my own ability to manipulate the situation or rework the situation or align the situation out of my own ability, I mess things up. And, you know, we all start our walk in Jesus in faith. We all realize that we are lost, we're sinners, and we need grace. We all start in grace, but it seems as Christians that we so easily, this is why uh, we had the Hebrews writer talking about it. This is why we have Galatians. This is why we have so many reminders that we are to walk by grace. That's why Mark spent a whole, how long, you know, hammering through a couple years ago, going through the book of uh, Galatians and telling you it's a grace walk every moment. And what does grace mean? It means that you are counting on God every step of the way in your walk, and you are walking and following him in faith. You know, it says in Psalm 78 something that's really, really shocking. It says in verse 40, how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. And I looked at the scripture, and it just blows my mind. They limited the Holy One of Israel. How can you limit God? And yet they limited God. I believe that God's hand, his mighty arm, could be seen in so much stronger evidence within the church of Jesus Christ if we would stop putting limits on him. Amen? That we limit God, not knowingly, in our busyness where we get so caught up in the detail. What happens? We get caught up in the details of life and we get caught up in working things the way we need to, to work them or the way th- we need to make things happen. 
if we stop trusting God and we stop the faith walk and we get so busy that we don't have time to really come to God in the morning and say, God, I'm in expectation today. I am looking forward to you showing your power. I am looking forward to taking that, that, that time to really uh, say, God, what is it that you have in store for me today? But instead, we hit our to-do list and we jump right in and we jump into another day of saving the world and fixing our families and making things happen. Instead of, God, show yourself awesome in my life today. Show your mighty hand. Show your ability to save. It says in verse 42 of 78 that they did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy, when he worked his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. The question is, is God's arm too short? And the answer is no. God is mighty to save, that we believe that God is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. You know, the clearest example that I have of this happened uh, right about where uh, my niece uh, Sierra is sitting. Hi, Sierra and Savannah. And Sully's here somewhere too. I got a couple, uh, a couple fans <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they, just, they just wanted to come to an awesome church this morning. Their parents are gone. And, you know, kids, they could have, teens, they could have said, oh, man, this is awesome. We'll sleep in, right? Instead, they come to church. They find a church to go to because instead of tracking out to their, their home church in Toronto, I thought that was pretty awesome. But I was sitting right there, and this is my clearest example of this. That spot for me in, the, in this church is holy ground because one Sunday I was sitting there about a year into this church plant, and I remember this so clearly that... I was worshiping, um, and at the same time, I was worried. I know it sounds contrasting. I was trying to focus on God, but I was worried. It was one year after Sweets Corners had begun this work. How many of our original Sweets Corners people? We have a few. We had a lot at this last night, too. But uh, people that, that came from Sweets Corners and was a part of this work. And I remember one year in, things were a bit rocky. Finances had dropped off, and now we had a mortgage, you know, I mean, it's the worst time to have a mortgage when your finances drop off a little bit. We had about 30 people leave the church through the transition. And, uh, and it wasn't the smoothest transition in the world. And yet we were excited about, about it happening. But about one year in, things were tough. It was difficult. And I remember on this particular week, one of the strongest supporters who was all like, yeah, go church plant, said to me, they're like, you still have faith for that place? And I'm like, seriously, you are like the person that's like super strong about this. And, and, and they were kind of defeated. And uh, at, at that time, Mark was still in the place of like he was youth pastor. And he was one of those youth pastors who was going to be like youth pastor forever, skinny, skinny, skinny jeans and faux hawk, right? And uh, he was going to go at this forever. And so he kind of thought, well, you know, I'm not too sure if I want to be the lead guy. You know, he saw me doing it. He saw me lose all my hair. And so I don't think he wanted to, to go that direction at that time. And God hadn't spoken to him. So that week, he had taken a job interview at another church. And finances were down. And, and I kind of thought he was supposed to be the guy, you know. And that's kind of one of the reasons why we thought this was going to happen. And so I'm standing there, and I'm just thinking, I'm going to lose my job. Like, I, I really stepped out in, in here, and, and, and things are falling apart, and if this falls through, I really don't think I could, you know, I would have the leadership to continue on. And I was thinking these thoughts, and all of a sudden, I heard God, and I, I don't hear God's voice a lot, and this seemed like one of those things where it's like, you know, really, God, you would say that? But it, it sounded like this, does it matter? 
And I'm like, heck yeah, it matters. It really matters. You know, this is really a big deal, God. And I just kept on hearing it. Does it matter? And as I was thinking about it, and as I was just thinking that over in my mind, all of a sudden I realized, okay, I lose my job. I love my job. I love our church. I love this church. I love what God was doing. I, I love, you know, pioneering works. I think that's exciting, you know. All of that stuff that I love, and I, I'm thinking in my mind, my mind, my mind, my mind that I'm really good at, I'm thinking this could all be taken away, and all I have is just Jesus. Is that enough for me? And all of a sudden, it hit me. Jesus, you're enough. You know, take the world. Take it all. You know, it can all be gone. Jesus, just give me you. You are enough. And suddenly, all of this burden, all of this heaviness just dropped from me. And I'm still, that's why that spot is like holy ground. I'm glad you picked that spot. Hope you felt it there, Sierra. That is holy ground for me. And I remember so confidently that that changed the way that I approached ministry that Sunday. Because suddenly I realized God doesn't need a burnt out, overworked pastor. He doesn't need the pastor who's going to make things happen. He needs somebody who has his ear. He needs somebody who's willing to listen to him and to willing to speak out to him. He needs somebody who is wanting God and God alone. And that's where, that's where Moses started. That's what, uh, that's what the scripture you read before worship. That's where Moses was at. He was saying, God, if you're not going with us, we aren't going. But he lost his focus. And so I want to challenge you really quickly with two things here. And that's one, take actions that necessitate faith. This is so important. If you are always just doing the things that you feel that you can do, you leave no room for God. This is a big thing at our church lately. People keep saying that. Are we leaving room for God? You know, because we'll say, yeah, we can do this. And they're like, yeah, we know we can do that. Are we leaving room for God? And so we're beginning to take steps that are like leaving room for him to show his awesome power. And, and it's revolutionary when you say that. It's like, you know, Peter, when he stepped out of the boat, you know, Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter, jump out of the boat, come out on the water. Peter said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me, tell me to come to you. And then we look at it, we're like, well, you know, he didn't have enough faith. He sunk in the water. He walked on water. <laughs> How many of you have walked on water? He stepped out of the boat. He had enough faith to take a few steps. That's awesome. That's amazing. And in the end, you know, he called out to Jesus. And Jesus, he, he, said, he taught him that, you know, if you, if you trust me, you'll see greater things. You'll see mountains move. And so are you taking steps that necessitate faith? We saw this yesterday as a young mom who just joined our church with her little boy. And she, she's just, a, you know, kind of a shy girl. And she stepped out in faith. And she came out to our hot chocolate giveaway in Dunville. We picked the coldest day of the year. Uh, coldest February 13th in history, I think they were saying. Minus 35 with the wind chill factor. And it was freezing. When we put the marshmallows into the cup, it was like clink, 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 clink. And then we poured that hot, hot chocolate in the cups. And we're handing it out in the town of Dunville. We had two stations. And, uh, and then we just, you know, called it a hot cup on a cold day and, uh, and uh, you know, told people, you know, the Bible tells us that uh, give a, hot a cup of hot chocolate to those who are cold and in need. Um, that's our Canadian paraphrase. <laughs> but uh, so she, she hands out this cup of hot chocolate and I saw on her face, um, she, she, was, she began the talk because they asked her, why are you doing this? 
And so she started talking, and all of a sudden I saw this look of panic on her face of, oh, crap. I just started to talk, <laughs> and I have to finish this thing. And, uh, and she got through it, and she, she told them, you know, hey, Jesus told us to give a cold glass of water to people who are thirsty. We didn't think that would go over very well in Canada. So we're giving out hot chocolate. And just, you could all of a sudden see that she left room for God. She stepped out in faith, did something she's not really familiar with doing, and that God met her there. She took that step, and God said, look what can happen. And, and you could just see that God spoke through this girl. And I just thought, wow, God is good. And the, and the last thing is just to recall the great things that God has done. Recall what he's done. Look what the, thing, the things he's done in your life, the miracles he's done in your past. Don't forget those. We forget things so quickly. The Israelites did too. You know, they're two years in, just within the last two years, you know, it's kind of some big events, opening the Red Sea, plagues, bread falling from heaven every day, coming on the ground, water coming from rocks, you know, some big stuff. And yet, I look at your lives, and I see some big, big deals, things that God did that were like life-changing your lives, and we can so easily forget them when we get distracted by the busyness and the craziness of life so distracted, and a small little thing can become so large when you focus on them. You know, lack of meat. I mean, they were surviving. They had food in their bellies, and all of a sudden, they are wailing outside of the fronts of their tents, and I see this sometimes within, within, our, within church families, you know, wailing outside the fronts of their tents because they're focused on me, but as soon as you get your eyes on God and say, God, what can you do? God begins to show his glory to the nations, to the communities around us. People begin to see, hey, it's not about them. Something else is happening here. And you have to give them the reason for the hope that is within you. Because they can't explain it. But you can. Let's all stand up together. I want to pray that this message takes root in your hearts and your lives. I, I want you to say this with me. Uh, last night, somebody was joking with me. They're like, yeah, I remember your message last time. You had a lot of funny stories. I don't know what it was about. <laughs> They're just being completely honest. I don't want that to happen. I know, like, you know, six months from now, it's probably like, you know, yeah, what was that topic? But yeah, I'm believing that it's going to make an impact in such a way that in the future, you might not remember specifically the words that were spoken here, but you will remember that on this day, a change took place in your life. That on this day, you began to walk in a different way. That you began to make room for God and take steps of faith that were beyond what you would normally take and that left room for God. That you began to walk in such a way that you are remembering the great things that God has done for you. Remembering who he is. And so let's say this together. Just repeat this after me. That God is who he says he is. God is who he says he is. And he can do what he says he can do. God's arm, is not short. God's arm is not short. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so amazed at how your word speaks such clarity, such truth to us, that God, you bring us to a place where oftentimes we feel like we're in a trap. We feel like we're burning through tires. We're burning through relationships and finances. And you bring us to that place, that clarity, that realization that God, it's not about us. And that when we look to you and we trust you, that you can do amazing, awesome, powerful things. Even if the problems were, were because of our mistakes, our sin, 
the things that we got caught up in in life. God, it's not too big for you to move in your mighty uh, hand of power as we have our eyes on you, as we regain that focus and that clarity that God, you truly are an amazing God. And so I ask that each person here in their own way would be spoken to by your spirit and given that understanding of areas in which we need to surrender to you, that we would be able to look at things that we hold on to and say, God, you take the world, but give me Jesus. Jesus, it's all you. We need you. We need your power. We need your strength. We need your grace. We can't, we can't, we mess things up in a moment without you. God, we need to take every step a step of faith. Help us to lay aside our to-do list. Lay aside all the things we think we can accomplish and to turn to you and say, yes, Daddy, what can you do? Expectant faith, amazing faith in your amazing grace and power and ability to do. God, I thank you that you have given your Holy Spirit and that your Spirit is right now working inside of people's hearts and minds, building expectation, Building up an understanding that, God, you are a great God who wants to show your great power to this world that's in turmoil and such need to know you and your saving power. Father, let us be light and life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.